0: Buongiorno tutti. Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things italiano. And this is, I'm asking Tommaso to tell you what number episode this is. Novantasette. Bravo! Episodio novantasette. Sì. Si. Bravo, Tommaso. He is learning. Va bene. Just a quick word before we start about 2024. A lot of our listeners have taken heed and gotten in touch and asked me to help them plan a trip for 2024. And I'm secretly applauding them when I speak to them or read their email because it is so much easier. You get to find the accommodation you want in your price range where you want it. So it's just, I'm just throwing this out there as a little heads up. If you're thinking of going, if you need help to plan your trip in 2024, get in touch with me now.
1: Those out there who are listening, please take a look at Instagram or Facebook and follow us. We're going to be announcing some new things in the future. We want to make sure that you get the information first. So follow us. So you'll get the information before the rest of the general public does. And also, those of you listening on Apple, we would love for you to review us, please. A little bit of, you know, whatever you feel. Five stars, six stars. <laughs> There's a limit of five, but just in case. Six? Go to ten. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of text would be great. It's really nice to hear when people comment. Keeps us rolling, keeps us going. And, uh, you know, we and appreciate it. And makes us laugh. It makes us laugh. Half of them. We appreciate it. So there you go.
0: A basta. Allora, we are very excited to tell you about the fabulous city of Torino, which is sadly referred to in English as Turin or Turin. However, I think it should be only pronounced in the beautiful name Torino.
1: Certo, Torino, without the roll of the R. Well,
0: to those that can't roll your tongue, fine. There you go, yeah. Okay, Torino is better than Turin. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And I was thinking about this actually ever since the fifth grade when I took my first Spanish class and learned that Spain is called España in the Spanish language. I wondered why the world didn't just stick to the name of each country in that country's language. The Italians in every other country do the same thing in their language. Check this out. In Italy, the Italians call Germany Deutschland. They call it Alemania. Like, where did that come from? Where
1: did that come from?
0: Isn't that quirky? The Italians call Greece Grecia, that's closer, and Japan, Japone. But alas, we all do it. So I assume it's going to stay that way forever. However, from this episode on, I say that every time Tommaso and I say a word, say the city, say the region, whatever, of each place in Italy, We'll tell you what it is in English first, and then Italian, and we're sticking to it. I accept the challenge, il mio amore. Oh. Getting good, huh? Well, you referred to me as masculine. Other than that, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) For example, Torino is in the region of Piemonte, not Piedmont. Piedmont as it's also pronounced. I know. Where did the D come from? Americans just, in you know, every other culture, every other language, just made up their own well, version. Well, not only
1: Americans, but it could be the English. I just,
0: yes, correct. It could
1: be their Australians. All right, my Piedmont. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's be serious here. Torino is the capital city in the Piemonte region. Piemonte makes up the northwestern part of the country, with the exception of the smallest of the 20 regions in Italy called Valdosta. And this little teeny region, Valdosta, is jammed on top of Piemonte and shares its border with France and Switzerland. And another little tidbit about the city of Torino, the River Po, which is the longest river in Italy, runs through the city. I'm sure most of you have heard of Torino But to be honest, I have to say, I've only had one client in all my trips that chose Torino for the trip I planned for them, and they loved it. We're about to change that. Exactly, with this episode. It's definitely not on the greatest hits list of Venezia, Firenze, Roma, but maybe that's a good thing for everyone else that does choose to go to this very culturally rich city which, by the way, has its own delicious cuisine, but we'll get into that in a bit. Most people probably think of Torino being famous for Fiat and chocolate, but obviously there's much more than those cute little cars and the fact that the Duke of Savoy introduced chocolate to Italy in Torino in 1559. Wow. Right? I did a little history on chocolate. It's been around since like BC, believe it or not. Let me step back and give you a quick history lesson because you know how much we love to share history so that when you are there, anywhere in Italy, you will know what you're looking at or what you're standing on. Torino was founded by a Celtic tribe called the Taurini, similar sounding, but spelled T-A-U-R-I-N-I. And that Celtic tribe claimed Torino its own, about 2,500 years ago. Then naturally, it was conquered by other invaders, yet they always kept a version of the Taurini name. So from day one, it sounded similar to Torino. Finally, it was rebuilt by our very busy friend, Emperor Augustus, who is the one, luckily, that normally kept all city development plans to a rectangular shape, divided into blocks, and all enclosed by walls. In Torino, the remains of the Torre Palatino, meaning the Palatine Towers and the gates to those walls still stand today. And that is the exact type of history we think you should know if you go to visit Torino and you walk through those gates and you will remember from this podcast that they've been standing there since the first century BC. That's Quite a while. (laughs) Remember when you stood on the floor of that nobleman's house in Rome from the 3rd century BC? And we just stood there in the quasi-dark thinking about that. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Everyone who'd
1: walked there before.
0: Right. And the fact that a nobleman lived there in 3 BC. Also, you've probably all heard of the Savoy dynasty, and Savoy is pronounced Savoia in Italian. But Torino was first linked to the Savoia in 1046. And then later, after a few occupations, you know, by the French and then the Franks, it became the capital of the Duchy of Savoya or the Ducato di Savoia, in 1563, right after that same duke brought over the chocolate from the new world, the Americas. And where did the cacao plant come from? Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Not interesting and they brought it to Torino. Wow. First he did. As well, Torino played a huge role in political and intellectual movements and most importantly, the same House of Savoy that led the Italian unification in 1860 claimed that Torino was its first capital as the Kingdom of Italy. And who was that rule under? Our other very busy Italian from the time, Vittorio Emanuele II. Uh,
1: every square, every city in Italy.
0: Has a Vittor- piazza, a building, a boulevard, you name it, Vittorio Emanuele, See. which is, you know, like a mouthful when you're trying to say, oh, just go down to Vittorio Emanuele, take a left.
1: So it's like Main Street.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And because the Duchy of Savoy, Savoya, and all the other royals from that family in the city, Torino has so many amazing, refined, or maybe I should even use the rather unsophisticated adjective of mind-blowing palaces. The main one, the Palazzo Reale di Torino, is one of those interiors where you basically gasp. Can I just say one thing? I si? break in here. Si? So
1: yesterday or the day before when you said the next episode's on Torino, of course I go right to Google and start looking because I don't get a real long, uh, you know, a long lead time on the heads up here. Um, <laughs> so I I'm w- busy. <laughs> I was blown away by that magical palace. And also when I Googled that palace, I then found another art book for sale on eBay, all the art in the Royal Palace of Torino. Oh, right. And of course I bought it. Something else. Too
0: bad it didn't arrive before today.
1: No, it won't be here, but it was used and it was, you know, it's going to take a while to get here, but it's got all the art and fantastic maritime charts and everything. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that when it comes in.
0: And when we're there in person. See. That will be discussed in a minute. Okay. The Palazzo Reale di Torino that we just mentioned is that exact kind of place he described. You just are gobsmacked at everything and I gasped myself the first time I went there which was maybe two years into my stay in Milano and I had a friend I was so lucky with all the friends I met a man from you know they grew up in Torino and we went to his family's house for a long weekend or probably yet another religious holiday and they lived right in the city and his parents were lovely and you know that first morning they were talking about well where are you going to show Kimberly? What are you guys going to do today? And he said a few things. Oh, go to the main piazza and have a cafe, et cetera. And la mama said, well, you have to take her to Palazzo Reale. He's like, I'll show her where it is. She can go on her own. <laughs> <laughs> and I used the comparison of, you know, like a lifelong New Yorker, someone that was born and bred in New York has a visitor and goes, yeah, go to the top of Empire State Building.
1: Or or it's like someone coming to Jamestown and Newport and I go, oh, I want to see the mansions.
0: Yeah, well, they're over there. Go ahead. Oh, in Newport, right. So I did go on my own, which was just amazing. Like I said, I just walked in and keep in mind, I was still a newbie, you know, in my early 30s with seeing this type of architecture and these types of interiors and when I walked in, I just was completely blown away. It was built in the 17th century as the Savoy Royal Residence. And its gardens were designed by the same landscape designer from Versailles, which I had been two years earlier. The French landscape designer named André La Notre. The interiors of this palace were almost like too much to take in. There were so many details the ceilings, all this ornate plaster work, marble floorings, fabrics, frescoes, chandeliers, you name it. It was everywhere and it was all magnificent. My favorite space, however, was probably well, like a meeting room or a meeting hall, let's say. And it had that black and white tiled, you know, square tile floors, but on the angle. So as you walk in, everything is so graphic going down causing that kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. And then... That's the photo I saw. Yes, it's amazing. But there's two palaces like this. I'm describing the second one in a minute. And then the same room had this like greenish-gray marble panels, I think, they would make that they abut against the wall that go like a third of the way up. So who'd ever seen that before? (laughs) What a detail. Marble walls. And then the frescoes went up the wall, and totally covered the dome ceiling. Amazing. And then, you know, you throw in the random marble bust of various Savoy family dotted about. It was probably the most simple room, which is why I remembered it and favored it the most. And this royal palace, Palazzo Reale, is one of 14 royal residences in the city which are all protected by UNESCO. So that alone tells you how Magnificent they are, and yet how important they are to the culture and history of Torino. And,
1: S- and let me just say, the libraries in some of those world palaces—wood panel libraries. I Here I am know. with my library fetish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. I could. That's sit.
0: why you were so happy in Bologna. Yes, in the See? Oh,
1: and the li- my library fetish came through again. I can't wait to go to Torino. I and know build that library. I
0: know,
1: and there's there's a little show on right now. Which has one of Da Vinci's self portraits? Oh, a little, right, little the, drawing. The etching? Yes. Oh, no, no, it, I, in I, Torino. It, it's not an etching. No, it's a it's a chalk drawing. Oh, right, right. In Torino, yes.
0: Ooh, maybe it would still be up in the fall.
1: Well, they'll open it up and show us for us, right? Of course.
0: <laughs> Kimberly's Italy here. <laughs> <laughs> Parmesan. So that means, you know, can I have permission? I,
1: I think they get that. I think. <laughs>
0: Now, let me tell you about the most glorious and most impressive. The crown jewel of all of these 14 palaces is called Venaria Reale. It was originally built in 1675, a few kilometers north of the city, as yet another residence for the royal family. But primarily, it was built and designed as a hunting residence, which is the most very, very grand hunting lodge ever. Maybe in the British countryside, they have some equivalent. So as I mentioned, it's the crown jewel. However, it had a sad history in that the Savoy family fled the estate only about 100 years after it was built in the late 1700s because of the arrival of yet the other busy Italian, Napoleon. And for those of you that don't remember your history in high school, or did not listen to our earlier episodes where we talked about Napo and his life in history and his role, Napoleone Buonaparte was born to Italian parents in Corsica, which at the time, I think, was under the rule, the sovereign of Napoli, kingdom of Napoli. Regardless, Napoleon, Napoleone Buonaparte is Italian, and he took over Torino and this grand, grand palazzo, which then led to the pillaging of the palace during the next one and a half centuries. And it even continued until after World War II, sadly. But there is a happy ending to the Venaria Reale, thanks to some very determined locals who could not bear to see this Baroque masterpiece crumble. And the city of Torino began an eight-year restoration in 1999, which cost about $300 million. And 800 workers and artisans replaced and restored. L- listen to these facts. It's amazing. 1.5 million square feet of stucco and plaster work and 11,000 square feet of frescoes they restored. So
1: I would have liked to own the contract for the vacuum cleaners, <laughs> <laughs> the plaster dust.
0: But isn't that amazing? And it only took eight years for this massive, and there's many buildings. It it proves
1: that actually it's, Italy can get something done.
0: They can indeed. It was a shame to the city of Torino. Actually, I read somewhere that in, they don't have, this is kind of crude, but you know how we have the word diarrhea in Italian, they started pronouncing instead of the the name Venaria, they started pronouncing it Venaria to compare it to it's how sad the state of disrepair was to this stunning, beautiful architectural gem. So in only eight years, 800 workers made it happen and it opened in 2007 And all the years that I lived there and during my visits to Torino while I lived in Milano, the Venaria Reale was in that state of disrepair I just mentioned. And after one fashion shoot, because we'd always go to, not always, but several times we went to Torino to shoot in the piazzas. The architecture is amazing with big wide open spaces with having the architectural background. And on one of those shoots on the way home, we all collectively decided, let's go up to Venaria and see the building. So it was in that horrible state of disrepair when we drove by, but you could indeed see how grand it had been. And keep in mind, this was like mid to late 1990s. So since 2007, Venaria Reale has been in its finest glory since it was built. And Tommaso and I will visit the end of October. Actually, we're going to go to Torino for several days at the end of our long road trip before we fly back out of Milano. And I personally cannot wait to see it because, as I described, the black and white marble floors from the other Palazzo Reale in Torino, where I was just completely blown away by them, the flooring in this particular Venaria Reale like is a thousand times more impressive. And it's in the great gallery. My dream come true would be to have that gallery to ourselves, just Tommaso and I alone in that space and soak it all in.
1: With a nice Aperol spritz.
0: They don't allow beverages in this place. I'm just saying, again, it's us. Okay, if we're alone, (laughs) they'll, they'll allow it. So look at the website photos and you'll see what I mean. We'll include the link to the website in the show notes. Allora, the other thing that Torino is most known for or most famous for is that it is home to one of Italy's most well-known brands, the Fiat Car Company. It was founded by Giovanni Agnelli in 1899 when he opened his first factory in Torino, which is where he was from. The acronym stands for FIAT, stands for Fabrica Italiana Automobile Torino. Luckily, they decided to stick with Fiat, right? <laughs> and it's like BMW stands for Bavarian Works, And maybe they copied it from Fiat because Fiat came first. And how do I know that? Because I went to the BMW Museum in Munich a gazillion years ago, and I'm not a car fanatic at all, but that is one awesome and interesting museum, just FYI. All right, Agnelli and his investors decided to build cars that offered, quote-unquote, democratic mobility. And one of their first cars, they named the Fiat Tipo. (laughs) Tommaso's smiling. And the word Tipo simply means type, a type of this, a type of that. Or in slang, it means a guy. Un buon Tipo. And as Tommaso knows so well, we once rented a Fiat Tipo. Yes. Not to be confused with a Fiat Punto. Punto. Yes. <laughs> we rented both. Yes. And both of those trips involved some very steep inclines, driving up mountains with the stick shift. My
1: left quadricep, left <laughs> leg, was like three times the size of my right one from depressing the clutch so many times. But I would had a lot of experience because my very first car, mind you, at 25 years old, I didn't get my license till I was 18, and then my first car at 25 was a Fiat 128 Spider convertible. Oh, yes. Cabriolet with the nice little wood and, you know, oh, oh it was it was sexy. It rotted to death. <laughs> it, it 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 rotted out when I sold it. I sold it to a friend. I'm not what, sure. What it, color was it? White.
0: Oh. With
1: a black interior and nice sort of walnut and everything, you know, walnut stick shift. It was very cool.
0: I bet I'm jealous. (laughs) Well, the Fiat Spider invented, or they introduced it in the mid-50s, but in 1957, the Cinquecento was born, and that's when Fiat really took off. And in the 1960s, Agnelli's grandson, also named Giovanni, but they changed it to Johnny to differentiate between them. Johnny, the grandson, took over the reins of Fiat, and while he was in charge, Fiat was almost four and a half percent of Italy's GDP. And he then became the wealthiest man in Italy's modern history. And it wasn't just his sartorial style and fast cars that put Fiat and Torino on the map. And Tommaso has an awesome Gianni Agnelli story. So, yes, (laughs) this goes back
1: to the old standard I always revert to. It's not a small world. It's a medium-sized cocktail party. And some of those cocktail parties are really small. And this is one of those stories that's about sailing. I mean, sailing in Italy and Tommaso, who could have thunk I'd put a story together? But here we go. It just so happens that a woman named Jennifer Jacobs asked on Instagram about my sailing and if I was going to do, ever tell everyone more about my history of it all and whatnot. Well, Jennifer, we're not going to do a whole episode, but here's a little piece of it. And I find this interesting because it ties in quite nicely with Gianni and Yelli. Um, Mr. Angeli was one of the backers of the first Italian America's Cup efforts when I was with Dennis Connors Freedom and Liberty, and that was called Azzurra. Azura, and we actually have a shirt here in the studio. <laughs> it's <laughs> so teeny. It's so teeny. It's very short. It's like a
0: mid crop.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the guy I traded it with, Nikki Musca, was very little. <laughs> Nikki, if you're listening, I know you're not, but Nicola. Uh, Nicola. Um, at the end of the America's Cup, the the teams trade gear. You know, you get so much gear, you get like 30 shirts. I think that
0: is an awesome thing to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. So um, I traded with Nikki and this other guy, Massimo, who could barely fit my jacket on, and he gave me this beautiful sweater, which someone stole. But oh. anyway, um, after the America's Cup, you were in demand to race very wealthy people's boats with them. And one of the people that mean I- mean
0: any person that had and crew member on America's Cup team was in demand.
1: Yes, you've spent the past two years sailing every day. You're sort of finely tuned. (laughs) Um, And so one of the people I was racing for at the time was the American billionaire Bill Koch, who went on to win the America's Cup in 1992. And Bill had several boats, both racing boats and cruising boats. And a very nice friend at the time was running uh, his cruising boat, and that captain, his name was Ben. So After a while, Ben wanted to do something else. He wanted to go back to the med. He was British, and he moved on to work for Johnny Agnelli on his something like 80, I think it was 82-foot sloop called Extra Beat. And being the founder's grandson, and he was a very busy man, and maybe, I don't know, maybe he was bored, but (laughs) he didn't sail Extra Beat much. And the nickname of the boat became Extra Sleep. Because the crew didn't have to too much work to do. Well,
0: they got to hang out they in really
1: lovely marinas As and they, yeah, ports they around the Med. But in the mid 90s, Mr. Agnelli wanted a new boat. And he called Ben up and said, Let's build a new boat. I won't try and do an Italian accent, although one of my friends, Adam Ostenfeld, could do this very well because he sailed with Mr. Agnelli. He said, Let's build a new boat. The boat will be black and called the Stealth. <laughs> And I want to have fun and get a lot of pleasure from sailing her. And I want her, like, fast, like in six months, which was— Have her built. Uh, yeah, unheard of. It didn't happen. But anyway, that was the mandate. And he hired this wonderful Argentine designer named Hermann Frères. His name is German—spelled German, German Frères, but his his name is Hermann Frères. And who would design Extra Beat, who I raced on a number of Frères boats— On the West Coast, East Coast, Mediterranean, Europe, all over the place. And they were always fast and gorgeous. He just had an eye for lines. And he was also,
0: is he still alive? He is or was? No, he's still alive. He is a very um, refined.
1: He's an elegant man. Elegant man. He's one of the great, he would come down the dock with a tie on all the time. Yes, yeah. And his son, uh, being the son of the rock star designer, Mm -hmm. uh, opened up a studio with his dad in Milan. Milano, in Milano. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so, Manny Freyers and Hermann Freyers designed this boat, Stealth. X- oh, Stealth, Stealth. And the result was one of the fastest and certainly the most remarkable superyachts built in almost a hundred years. Stealth was black, and it was one of the first boats with black sails. And her all carbon fiber construction. It pushed the boundaries of engineering because he wanted to go fast and it basically loaded up more than any other sloop had ever loaded up before and it the had it had to be several times stronger than any other boat built at that size it was wonderful it changed sailing forever
0: and not only the design and the look but the technical aspect
1: correct right so even though i never met johnny stealth came to Newport Remember in the I early... think it
0: was two thousand.
1: Yeah, two thousand came to Newport, and Ben was on the dock, and I ran into him, and Kim was there, and we got a tour of Stealth. It was awesome. <laughs> you just you just felt this is a game changer. This is pure sex on the water, and this is going to be this is going to be magical, and sort of it was boat speed style everything. I also want to say one thing. On the docks, you often hear about various owners and billionaires, and some of them are good and bad and cranky and persnickety. I never heard one bad word about Johnny Yelly, and also Irman Frayer. Right. So they were a match made in heaven to sort of at that time. And the day Stealth was launched, the race car driver F1, Michael Schumacher, who raced for Ferrari, won his first Formula One The race. same
0: day. The same day. That's amazing.
1: So there we go. Back to this medium-sized, very small cocktail party. Could be a micro cocktail party at this point. And somehow, somewhere, I can always generally fit a story and relate it back to sailing somehow. There we go.
0: Well, can I just throw in, I know we're running out of time. Can I just throw in the extra, my extra beat, extra sleep story? Sure. It's awesome. Let it roll. Okay, so while I lived in Milano... I had a friend named Adam from Australia, and he was a sailor and a photographer. And he got me involved in shooting the regattas in the beautiful Italian town of Portofino. And these regattas were sponsored by Zenia. So Adam would be in one boat and I'd be in another. And these boats are little rubber inflatable skiffs or whatever you call them. But in Italian... Ribs. Co- Rigid
1: inflatable boats.
0: Rigid, inflatable boats. There you go. Got it. But in Italian, they're called gomoni, and the nickname was gomo. (laughs) So here's my quick uh, summary of the men that drive the gomoni, the the rib boats. So they're fit, they're tan, they're good looking, and they- Typical Italian on the waterfront, sorry. And they stand. Everyone else around the world sits on these little rib boats. They stand, and they have a line- a rope tied to the little clip on the bow of this boat. And they stand and they hold the line with one hand and their other hand is behind them on the engine. And it is a It's a balancing act. It requires some finesse yeah. while still looking good. So I would be <laughs> <laughs> So I would be sitting with my camera just all, to check
1: in, I can't do it.
0: Right. <laughs> no one else does. I have never seen. Oh, the French do it well, too. Oh, they do? Yes. Okay, Oh, yeah, that figures. Anyway, so I would be sitting on the boat. My friend Adam would be on another. And then, because it was Portofino, and because it was Xenia, and Prada, and all these other brands and people would be there, but the real draw was extra beat. Johnny Agnelli's boat, like at the edge of the harbor, at anchor, and we'd all get in the boats in the morning while the other boats that are in the regatta are getting ready and slowly motoring out to the race course. So I'd be on the boat and you'd hear all the other Italian drivers yelling out to each other, Dovista? Quale Gomone? E Gianni su? Where is he? Where is he? Come on, we've got to get the photo. And then we'd see him. <laughs> and he's in another private Gomoni boat with his own driver who's even more good looking. And it's
1: a little bit bigger.
0: It's a little bit larger, but that man's still standing. It wasn't like a huge rip like you have now.
1: Oh, that was way back when.
0: This is in, you know, mid to late 90s.
1: Mid mid 18th century.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so to end the story, you'd see his rib coming out. His driver was even more good looking than my driver. And he was standing and so was Johnny. So this is what we looked for, or we would bet. Is he going to be fully dressed today in like totally pressed shirt, linen pants, hat? And he always wore these, the hippest sunglasses that were designed at the time. Or would he be in a Speedo type bathing suit, which he also did quite a lot. So all the paparazzi photographers would be out there taking photos and Adam and I always got our own. And then we could go closer to his yacht because we were on the ribs that were involved in the race course. And we would take pictures of him getting ever so elegantly from his rib onto extra beat, And then he would just tan, <laughs> tan and
1: swim and eat and drink. The dude had a per- a-, a tan that was like permatan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what I would have if I had that kind of money, a permatan.
0: So funny enough, Johnny, Johnny Agnelli was partly responsible for letting the entire world know about torino in the 20th century
1: and then came along kimberly and Tommaso
0: (laughs) for the 21st century exactly um we are totally over time here and i wanted to get into the cuisine and the downtown architecture and everything else about torino and the chocolate chocolato so we'll have to do another episode next week absolutely okay okay Thank you very much, everyone. Grazie tutti e ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.